It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thank you for joining us for another Tuesdays with Trey. This is a treat for me. Um, I have long enjoyed watching and listening to our next guest. In fact, last night when my wife asked me who was on the podcast and I told her, first words out of her mouth were, I really like him. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, honey, he's he's on the other team. He, he's like, he was a Democrat <laughs> in Congress, but she didn't care. Uh, and to that point, I don't know whether he and I agree. Well, we probably don't agree on every issue or maybe even most, but he does have a persuasive way about himself and he does not engage in ad hominem attacks, even though he's in a line of work uh, that seems to sometimes reward those who do. He's the former congressman from the great state of Tennessee. uh, And he, like me, is an avid sports fan. So with that, welcome, Mr. Harold Ford Jr. How are you? Brother, thanks for having me. And uh, tell your wife, thank you. Uh, uh, I, I I'm, married in, I'm married into a Republican family. Um, and my, my wife has become a little more Democrat. But my uh, my in-laws may remain staunchly uh, uh, Republican. But they uh, they tolerate me, too. So I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know anyone who follows politics less than my wife does. But I think <laughs> she does watch when I'm on. So she sees you on Brett's panel and she sees you when you're kind of enough to come on our show. And I, 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 I actually think she speaks for a lot of people. They just, they like you personally. It is very, very hard to not like Harold Ford Jr. Personally. I tell you, one of the things in politics is you, as you know, and first of all, you, you're someone that we didn't get a chance to serve together, but I, I watched when watch you in Congress and watch how you conducted yourself. And I, I was not there at the time. And I, I thought for one of one of the great treats of being at Fox now is having a chance to make make new friends and acquaintances. And I always felt like I knew you because we served in, a, in, the, in the same place, although we, we were not there together. Meeting you has been a uh, one of the treats uh, and, and one of the joys of being at, at the network. And I think you said it really well at the outset. Um, I think we probably agree on more things than we dis. We may agree on a lot more things than we we think we don't, uh, and we probably don't agree on on a majority of things. But even the things we disagree on, problem I think in politics is that once people think there's something or decide or declare or identify what they disagree on, they just put that aside and never try to work on. It. They did, you know, they they think of themselves as in this kind of static, sacred spot where they can't, you know, they can't they can't move or they can't, can't negotiate or can't try to figure out some sort of outcome. So, you know, you are a model in many ways. Uh, even when I disagreed with some of the things you were doing, I'd listen to you because it, I, I often, if I didn't, even if I was not persuaded from the other side, I learned, which I think is another lost art, not only in politics, but just kind of public life in general. So thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, you're kind to say that. Now, this is what I want to know. I want you to tell us about Harold Ford Jr. growing up. What were you like as a kid, high school, college, before we ever get into what you did and currently do for a living? Tell us what you were like as a kid. Well, that's probably boring, but I'll, I'll, I'll be brief because it is boring. It, I, I grew up in Memphis, largely in Memphis, and then my father was elected to Congress when I was four. Um and we moved to Washington when I was nine. I said, we, I had two little brothers, my, my little brother, my youngest brother, my dad is now, my parents are divorced and my dad remarried. And I have a brother and sister from his, um, from his, uh, his, 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 his new family. Um, but my, my youngest brother was born the day my dad was sworn into Congress. Um, it's really funny. One of the, one of our other Fox friends or one, one of the person who comes on Fox often, a guy named Don Peebles. Uh, was just on just yesterday or the day before, I think. Uh, Don was an intern uh, at the time for my dad, and he babysat my brothers and I. Uh, Don's a great, great friend, continues to be the, to this day, and is a great business guy and, uh, and has a lot of serious and thoughtful ideas around politics. 
But but I grew up in a time in D.C. trade when everybody it was a different place. I mean, I my uh, my my I went to my, um, finished elementary and went to middle school there in D.C. And a lot of my friends were at the school. Their parents were in politics. They were both sides of the aisle. We had dinners together. My dad was on the Ways and Means Committee in Congress and would often host dinners for, he chaired one of the subcommittees and would host dinners with Republicans and Democrats probably once a week. And the kids would come over. So we all kind of knew each other and didn't really think of the kind of robberies that existed in, in politics as a, or certainly didn't view that as an impediment to us being friends. Um, and my father came from a big family, he comes from a big family, he's one of 15, my, and they're they're one of the big in politics. My dad was the middle child. Was, if you can be middle in 15, he was number seven. And my uncles were in politics. My grandfather was in politics. So I grew up in and around it and kind of uh, kind of got to love it kind of in a natural way. And my whole orientation to politics really grows up from the Sunday dinner table. We had 100 cousins or 98 cousins and 60 of them lived in Memphis. And every Sunday, my grandmother after church, we, we'd uh, convene at her home. This is mostly in the summer after we moved to D.C. Uh, and I would I would always crawl up to the to the adult table, just listen to the conversation. And oftentimes, if there was a politician in town, be it the governor or senator, they'd come to Sunday dinner with us at my grandmother's house. And I was just always kind of fascinated and mesmerized by adult conversations, uh, particularly about politics. And my dad was never one that was particularly partisan, and particularly my grandfather. He was always whenever the conversation got a little, little nutty, he would always bring it back to the center. Uh, bless his heart, rest his soul. But he was really a, a tremendous influence on, on me and my father uh, was, was even more so. So I moved to Washington, graduated high school there, went on to Penn, had a great four years there, then went on to law school at Michigan, uh, go blue and had a, had a wonderful time there and really honed some of the, the skills that I'd learned around, skills is the wrong word, some, my, my inclination about politics and as I developed ways to talk about these issues were really kind of amplified there as well. We used to have a, whenever the big, whatever the biggest arguments were, Trey, in con law uh, on that Tuesday, I'd have a, and Thursday, I'd do it either Tuesday or Thursday, I'd convene a little burger joint right on State Street, uh, right off, right, right near our, right near the law quad. I'd have about seven, eight guys, men and you know, girls and boys, and we'd sit, whoever was most active and animated that day in class, and we would debate talk, debate, converse over burgers. And sometimes there was an adult beverage involved. And we would, <laughs> we, we, the only rule was you had to, you had to listen and you had to admit when your position had been undermined or strong word, but when you're, when your position been a little undercut, and when your position was not as strong as it was after listening to someone else. And some of those friends, we just celebrated 30 years out of law school. Some of those piles were 25 years out of law school. Some of those piles are they remain great, great friends. And we often talk about, we, when we were together just, just a few months back, we talked about those conversations and how they've influenced us and how influenced us even as we, uh, in our, our lives, professional lives and even our personal lives with our family. So uh, politics runs deep in my family. And one of, one of the depressing things about where we are at sort of this point in politics is that we just, nobody, nobody wants to listen. And when you look at all these, these polls and it's, Probably the thing that distresses me the most, Trey, is this, 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 this data around where people view the, how people view the Supreme Court, oh, put yeah. aside the decisions and all, but the 25% approval rate, I don't remember, first, I don't remember even polling the Supreme Court when I was in law school, or even when I was in Congress, that they did that. But I certainly, when I started looking at these numbers, I've not found a, a lower number than that. Now, the country may have regarded the court over the, you know, 200 plus year history and in ways that, or 230 plus year history, I guess, in ways that, you know, could be lower than that. But it, in terms of my, in polling, I've never seen that. And when you consider, I think the big distinction in our country is that rule of law matters and rule of law governs. And that's the final arbiter. So, and for the final arbiter to have that, that low standing in the minds of, of people, it, it, that, 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 that concerns me and bothers me more than the right track, wrong track numbers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, we're in the wrong people. 80% of the country thinks we're on the wrong track, but we can, that could be corrected. Get a good, you know, get a Fed does something. The jobs numbers, we got one this morning, but you get, you know, things could happen quickly to make, to make that. We get a, we get a resolution in Ukraine that the, the right track, wrong track could probably turn again. But the, the court, 
I really hope that number is able to turn more quickly than not. Because if it doesn't, I, I think it bodes, it pretends worse than perhaps some of the other numbers uh, around uh, approval ratings for different institutions. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I, I think that number is actually unsustainable, not to sound like an alarmist, but I, I, I just I kind of look to the legal system while imperfect uh, and and capable of and in need of and ready for reform. I do view that institution a little differently uh, from the way I view others. And I that number is jarring. All right. Let me ask you about the house. Did you like serving and how has it changed since you were there? Uh, it was the the highlight of my. Uh, I'm 52 years old. I served there 10 years, and uh, nothing was the, the idea of being able to serve and then actually being able to serve um, was the most incredible 10 years of my life. Um, I got elected to Congress when I was 26. I was still in law school uh, when I was starting when I announced for Congress. Uh, it, was, it was my third year. Uh, I announced the, the Saturday before Easter, and 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 and. In 96, I'm sorry, yeah, 96. And then I announced, I mean, I graduated on my birthday and came right home to begin campaigning. And the voters took a big, big risk. I'd never had a full time job. Uh, I just obviously gotten out of school. Um, um, and I was running against a group of people who had some experience in politics. So the voters sent me there. And, you know, there was, it was frustrating. And once you, and so the, there's a, there's a, Two, two sides here, getting to Washington and being a part of the Democrats were in the minority when I was there. And so I, I approached everything with how do we how do I get something? Then I got to side with the other guys. So I was on the education committee and there was a young fellow from Florida named Joe Scarborough on the committee. And the first thing probably the first two weeks we were looking at uh, a reauthorization of um, all these terms we use go over people's heads. I mean, we, we were looking at a, a new spending thing on in, in schools, and I wanted to get some extra dollars for some cleanup, some remedi- remediation of some some things near some schools in my district, some environmental challenges. And they were, I was told, you need to go to the committee that does the EPA stuff. I said, why don't we try to sneak in in the education bill since it's for this purpose? I don't want to get all the the green stuff. All I mean, I'm a I, I want I believe in climate change, but this is not a climate change. At least need to make the school, the area safer. So I asked my staff, I said, look, see who else may have this problem. And Scarborough had the problem in his district. So I walked over to him, we met, and we offered this thing together. And people were shocked. I mean, Joe was at that time, every night going down the floor, spilling his brains out about why he didn't like Clinton. In the, uh, in the, in the, the I forget that time you call it after the session closes. Uh, so for he and I to be working together, my Democratic friends looked at me kind of sideways, and then the Republicans looked at him sideways. But we got it. We got it in the bill and got this whole money for no one, the whole whole you know chunk of money. But it was good enough amount to be able to start some of the work. So the friendships and the relationships, you know, were the things that were most most interesting and key to me. And I and I, I had as many Republican friends as I did Democratic friends. Um, so ten years, I wanted to go to the Senate because the, the House was starting to get to be a place where. You couldn't get a lot done because uh, everybody, all, I mean, at that point, the, the, and this is one of the changes, all people thought about was Democrats thought about having a tough Republican challenger and the Republicans who were in swing districts thought about having a serious Democratic challenger. So we would, you know, for about six months would be okay. Then all of a sudden the fights would start and we couldn't, we really couldn't get along. So I thought going to the Senate, vying for the Senate and, and hopefully getting elected to the Senate would give me a chance to, you know, think more long-term and really forge some relationships with really Republicans and Democrats and, and not be, and people not be punished for that or not, not retreat after six months because they had to raise a lot of money. Um, but I, but I love my time there. And I, again, I, I still, some of my, you know, Patrick Kennedy and our Kennedy and I were great pals still are Kenny Holsoff from Missouri. And our great, great pals, Zach Womp, uh, my Tennessee colleague who he and I remain great pals to this day. Um, Lacey Clay from, from Missouri, who was a, yeah. uh, was a, was a great friend. Matter of fact, we grew up together. Uh, he was a little older than me. He used to babysit my brothers and I too. His dad was, was, uh, the ranking member on the education committee when I, when I was there, the big change, there's so many changes, but one of them is now people worry about being primary, um, 
more so than what they about a general election because of the way these districts have been drawn. There are a bunch of a bunch of things that have changed, but that to, that to me is as fundamental to why you know you can't you can't go working with a Democrat. Heck, you can't even go work with certain members of your party if they are not you know the right and um, the right spectrum, right, right part of your party's ideological spectrum. So that is that, that to me has been the, the the most noticeable and and, and frankly impactful change. To being able to get things done since uh, since I was there. You know, speaking of Lacey Clay, I had a great relationship with him. He and I were on a committee together, and if memory serves me, he was primaried. Maybe he, he got he, he got beat in a primary. And there's a congresswoman there named Corey Bush now who defeated him in the in the primary. And I was I talked to him that very that night of the primary. And it was a close race, and he. I, I, I called him right when the polls closed. He said, I think we're going to be fine. And then obviously that was not the case, but he's my Lacey's family. So I, uh, and, but his style of governing to your point, you know, that's what you want more of. But anyway, he did the primary thing is, is the main point. I think it's just a, on both sides. It's just unfortunate. I'm Trey Gowdy and we'll have more coming up. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right. I remember seeing you some in the Senate, but when you came on my radar is when you uh, uh, some in the house, when you came on my radar, it's when you were running for Senate. Cause I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, all I know about Tennessee is my wife used to make me go to Dollywood with our kids, but it seems <laughs> like a red state. Uh, and they had a pretty good football team with Heath Shuler and Peyton Manning and some of those guys, but they, it seems like a red state. And here's this Democrat Congressman who, you know, quite honestly, was as good on television as any politician I had ever seen in terms of persuasion, communication skills. I hate the word smooth because it makes us sound like we're used car salesmen. And I don't mean it that way. <laughs> I mean it like good in front of a jury that a jury would sit there and say, you know what? I think he may be right. So. <laughs> If I remember, that was a very, very close race. And I guess I'm wondering, did losing a close race teach you anything that winning it would not have taught you? You know, I, I, don't, I don't. First of all, you're nice to say those things. Um, and I'm not sure I, I actually resemble those things. But I, I, we, tried our, we tried our butts off in that race. And um, my, uh, my opponent, Bob Corker, went on to serve a few terms. I tell you, the Fox News, just a, just a side story, the Fox News, being on Fox News over the last couple of years has been, you know, it, it, it certainly inspires a strong opinion from a lot of people, including some of my, uh, particularly some of my Democratic colleagues uh, and Democratic friends. But one of the things, and even some of my Republican friends, but I'm, I'm one of the five one evening. This is around Christmas, uh, last Christmas. And I get this email from Bob Corker, uh, who, uh, who, who defeated me in the Senate race back in 2006. And we have not had our regular cadence. My faith is, is, is like it is for all of us is, is really important to me. And I, it took me, you know, six months to a year to kind of get out of the, I mean, to realize that the thing I loved doing the most, I was not doing, I was fortunate to be able to find a, a job or two. And, and, and I was living in New York uh, after the race, my girlfriend, now wife was living there. I'd always wanted to live in New York for a period of time. So many of my classmates had at Penn and Michigan and, had started their careers there and I really wanted to do it, but time always conspired against me for really good reasons. So I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to be there, but it took me and I was able to get there uh, and, and support my uh, support myself. But at the same time, it took me mentally a little time to get out of, get out of that, that race. There were some things that happened in the race that were, you know, a little unsettling and, and jarring, but you gotta, you know, can't complain about the reps and umpires. You gotta keep, keep moving. So I hadn't talked to Bob other than the night I called the concede and I'd seen him in person out and we were always cordial, but we had not, you know, we were not, we were not, we were not going out buddies, but I get this email from him, Trey, while I'm on the show. And he says, hey, Harold, Bob Corker, nothing urgent. Give me a ring. If you get a moment, I'd love to catch up. So I call him when I get outside, I get the Uber to go home and I call him and we had the greatest conversation. 
And he said, <laughs> I won't share the context of the conversation, but he had a he had a funny quip about just how things have happened over the last many years, which gets to your the, the, the specificity of your question. And I'm not sure if he and I would have had that conversation, uh, uh, but for the way things happen and how life is how life is uh, turned over the last many years. Uh, and I like to think, you know, I don't know what the other side would have been had I won what would have happened. But, I, you know, I, I think I have I've certainly grown as a, as a thinker and grown in terms of just experience. I mean, I've been able to uh, spend some time in the banking, the banking business and continue to a little bit, been able to spend some time as an entrepreneur. So it's, it's given me a perspective that I did not I did not have. And the biggest thing I, I was not married, did not have kids when I was when I was in politics. I now have two kids, an eight year old and a seven year old. And I used to listen to people, uh, constituents and, and people, I, people who were not in my district, people whom I admired in politics and uh, people on television who would often say, you know, my perspective on this has changed now that I have kids. And I used to, thought, I used to think that was kind I thought it was true, but I thought it was more kind of a political statement than anything. Now that I have kids, I fully understand um, that how, how, how you, you think about life and think about the way you pursue how you go about the pursuits in life that that are that that you care about that are meaningful to you, and so you know I, my life is I'm blessed. I mean I, I you know I wish I had won that race, but having not won it, I don't know if the other part of my life could have been any better than it is now. Uh, and I don't I I'm, I try not to ever look back. I love when people say I never look back. I mean I try my hardest not to look back uh, on really anything. Uh, and and. Uh, I certainly would not have been able to support my alma mater, uh, Michigan, the football team in Michigan, like I've been able to had I just been elected to the Senate. So, I, uh, <laughs> it's been it's been a, it's been a it's been a good thing. Well, I don't want to make uh, I you know looking back, not all that fun, no matter how the race turned out. But I just I find it um, so instructive about you that a state like Tennessee, which, you know, I don't know what it was like 10, 12, 15 years ago, but right now it's, it's considered a red state. And if memory serves, I mean, that was less than two points statewide. Yep. It was it's about, about 23,800 votes, but who remembers things like that? I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was a close race and it was a, uh, um, I'll never the, the night the night of the race. My 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 wife, then girlfriend, we were we were in Memphis, um, and I woke up the next morning. My one of my best friends, who so many of my college and law school and high school buddies and just great friends in life, had come in for the that last several days of the race. And one of my best friends, who's from Los Angeles, a guy named Mike Eisner, a, a, a pal of mine, knocked on my door at my hotel, and he had my Starbucks. He said, "What are you doing?" He says, look, you got it. We got we got things to do today. And uh, he gave me my Starbucks. He comes in the room. He says, we got this plane uh, that, you know, we, we chartered for you to run around the state and thank the voters. He said, so I was I was sitting. He was standing next to me the night before when President Clinton called and uh, I said, look, it looks like you're not going to win this thing. Uh, the president said, he said, but look, how you behave and conduct yourself tomorrow is how people are going to always remember you from this race. He said, even if you win the race, the way you conduct yourself the next morning is what really what, what the people who didn't vote for you remember, and even the people who did. So you got to get out there and you got to go thank everybody like you like you like you won. So we got it, it was about five thirty six in the morning. We got to the airport and we flew up. In, I mean, Tennessee from east from east to west, we're the second longest state in the country behind Texas. So from Memphis, the further tip in Memphis to that, where you're talking about up near Dollywood, up at that intersection of North Carolina, Virginia, and Tennessee, uh, that's, 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 that's a long hike. So we flew up to that area, the Tri-Cities area, um, and and uh, 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 Jimmy Duncan used to represent that Knoxville. I don't know if, you ever, if Jimmy Duncan was, John oh, yeah. Duncan was in the Congress when you were there. And um, and Van Hillary and those guys represented some of, some of that area up there as well. So I went up. Started up there, shook, went to four, three or four places, stopped in Knoxville, stopped in Chattanooga. Duncan came to see me in Knoxville. This is a hey man, great race. And he was a, he was a throwback too, uh, to a, to a different kind of. And he he and I had a, our parents had both our dads had been in politics in Tennessee, so we had a a nice camaraderie around that. Um, but I, I you know 
once I did that, it really helped relieve me, Trey, in a lot of ways, because I, I ended back up in Memphis that night, uh, late that evening for a rally. And it was it was weird because I still thought the race was going, even though like, clearly the race was over. But it was it was therapeutic uh, in a lot of ways and and uh, and helped me start the process of of, of moving on. And it, it gave me a great sense of, you know, some of the some of the the the, the energy that we had inspired during the campaign. And and um, the states changed a little bit now. And again, it's, I think some of this redistricting, this re, the way we've drawn these lines and places all around the country is really, you know, when I was in Congress, the state was six, our delegation at one point was six Democrats and three Republicans. And I think when I left, it was five, four Democrat. It's now, it's now, as we, as we sit here today, it's seven, two Republican. And um, it's going to be eight, one after this election, because the way this, the legislature is drawn the lines and the only Democrat will be in the Memphis area, where, where, which was the district that I was fortunate uh, to, to be able to serve and, uh, and represent. Um, and it's not because the state has had an influx of, you know, uh, it's not because the state had an influx of voters who want more Republican Congress. This is the way they've drawn a district. I mean, in fact, Nashville is probably one of the fastest growing cities in the country. And so many people moving there were kind of young progressives progress is the wrong word, young people from the West Coast and in the music business, because healthcare and music are such pillars uh, in, the, in Nashville. Uh, but they've, you know, they've, we've drawn the districts in ways that this is not to indict anybody or malign anybody, but I just, I think some of that has really helped to, uh, on both sides, has, has helped to exacerbate some of our, some of our the ugly tensions and ugly impulses in politics. Yeah, I think Cooper, um, Cooper made yeah, me kind of drawn out of his he, seat. He was he was drawn out of his seat. Yeah, and he was a yeah he was a blue dog. Yeah, total, I mean, total blue dog. Yeah, I would. I he, very measured, thoughtful. Um, if he raised his voice, uh, it was because your hearing aid was up too much. I mean, he, he just. <laughs> which brings me to this question: Can you be measured in your speech? Fair to your opponents and still succeed in politics? I think you can. I think you can. I think that sometimes um, people think that fair and measured means that, um, that, you know, partisans on both sides think that, think, believe that fair and measured means you're not, you're not serious and you're not, you don't want to be sweeping in your, and in, in what you try to get done. I mean, the country, as you and I both know, the country's built on a canyon of compromises. We were founded on a, can, a, a compromise and it's just, it just continued from there. And I think some of the people are going to politics today on both sides, believe that, you know, you go there and you just, you take a hammer and you just, you know, I listen to progress. I listen to some in my party who tell, and again, this Joe Biden, has a lot of work to do, but the, the where I where I defend them is I hear people saying, "Well, you need you're not doing this enough. You got to tell them." I mean, politics is not about telling somebody something. Politics is at its best is meeting people where they are. So, how do we, at least in my mind, how do you how do we get to a better place? How do how do we get to higher ground? And let's let's figure out how we get there together. And so many people in it today believe that you don't need the other side to do that. Uh, you just need all you need is just they need that they need to understand and be told what to do. No one wants to be told what to do. So being fair uh, and measured are lost arts in the business, but they are the they're the permanent characteristics of of any moment where we've gotten big things done. Uh, the, the one the one probably example where it was not a lot of it was not, it was not bipartisan or should say uh, across the aisle uh, cooperation was when, when you know, President Obama got the, the, the Health Care Act passed. But it has survived uh, you know, a Republican Congress, a Republican-led Congress, and obviously Democratic-led Congresses, a Republican president, because it, you know, it's, it's been reformed and tinkered with. But take that out of the, 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 the way it was passed for a moment and look at how it has survived. And you see, you know, I think you and I, we go back and cite many pieces of social uh, policy and, and social economic policy that that had to have fair and measured kind of approaches. Um, and but unfortunately, Trey, I think you, the premise of your question is is right. There's a there's a belief, and there's a the belief has some. There's a lot of there's an evidentiary path to to, to affirm the belief that being fair and measured 
you know, doesn't get you, doesn't get you places, uh, or should say doesn't, doesn't help advance your cause. But I would argue the people who just yell all the time and the people who uh, uh, berate all the time and the people who want to belittle people all the time, they don't have a great track record either. So, um, and as a result, nothing gets done because everybody's just kind of, kind of yelling at one another. Like I, I think of my, 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 my comrades on the, uh, my, my, my team on the five, which I'm, I'm so happy to, to, to be around. We don't agree on, on a lot of stuff. I mean, but the judge and I, I mean, I, I'm, I come from a school that I can, that says I can disagree with you fervently um, and passionately and, and sometimes angrily, but I can, I can still be your friend and, and, and not only that want to be um, uh, as long as you, you know, there, there's some, some lines I have, but I, but they, they, but disagreeing on a political issue should not bar someone from being, being friendly. I mean, Jesse and Greg and I, Dana, I've known a long time, Dana Perino and I, uh, when she served, when she worked for president Bush, I was in Congress. We didn't know each other well, but I knew her and Jesse and Greg, I didn't, no, and Judge Janine, I did not know uh, until getting to do the show. It's funny. Brett Bayer is my pal. Uh, another good golf, another really good golfer, by the way. He's, um, no, he's real good. I think he's playing in one of these tournaments this weekend out, out in Tahoe. Uh, that'll be on TV. I think he, he, Brett, and I are old friends, and uh, so I would do Brett's show during COVID, and I'd be doing it from home remotely. So we would have the, my kids are eight and seven. They were six and five at, when this at this pandemic started. So we would sit. And, and, and have dinner together, my wife and kids and I, and we'd have Fox on and we would see the five. We'd have the five on because we had dinner at 5.15, 5.30. <laughs> and uh, then I'd go take a quick shower and put, put, put my shorts back on, a shirt and tie and a jacket. But we watched the five and my kids loved Greg Gutfeld because Greg would end the, that, the show with that one more thing thing and he would come on and he had this little skit where he'd say, animals are great. Animals are great. And we have three dogs. So my kids would work. They wanted to see the end of the show to see if he would do that in that segment. So we all took a, you know, took a interest in it. So I get on the show and I tell him this story and, you know, he, he they were welcoming, welcoming of me. But I think we, I think one of the things that we have to realize that politics is life, right? I mean, I don't know if all the parents at my school where my kids go, if they are like-minded with me on politics, but we have something that we have in common. On that show, we have in common. What I try to bring to and add to what they do is let's have a let's have a conversation and 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 not get angry. We we can get passionate, but there's no need to get no need to get personal and angry about it. And, and I think too much of the where we are now is uh, is that. And it it's turn it, it Trey, it works in both sides, even within their parties. They've got Republicans yelling at Republicans, Democrats yelling at Democrats. And I don't mind people yelling at each other as long as it's substantive, as long as it has some sort of reason or rhyme to it. And if it's just all, if it's just all personal, it just the whole thing, the whole enterprise of politics can't get practiced in any serious way, let alone a serious enough way where you can get some answers to, to, to some of the, the big challenges. We, we were on the show yesterday and we, the last topic we dealt with before we got to one of the the the, uh, the funny things we do was the fact that Mark Warner, who I hold in high high regard, uh, the senator from Virginia, and Mark and Marco Rubio, who I know just a little bit but not well, but they obviously the chair and vice chairs of the Intelligence Committee, and they have asked jointly for an investigation into how data is being handled by TikTok uh, with this U.S. customers now. That to me is a serious. <laughs> when you have when you had a, a, this most senior Democrat and most senior Republican coming together and intelligence can be publicly stating something like this, that to me says that there's something deeper here that we need to be thinking about as a nation, not just what whether or not they achieved in the FTC to do that. There's that means something is awry here. And obviously, we've been talking about China for a while, uh, but Chris Ray, the FBI director, said something yep. very similar. So. These are the kinds of things that, you know, those guys are being fair and measured. And I hope people are listening. And I, 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 I mean, I think and I think you and I probably agree on on, on this a lot more than we if, even if we disagree at all. The disagreements would be small. The, the organizing principle for our politics over the next 20 to 30 years, the, the geopolitics is China. And, 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 and if we can't figure out ways in which to direct our, our investments in our own country to try to wean ourselves off of you know, that dependence 
uh, on, on supply chains from Asia. Shame on us. I mean, Europe is seeing the fact they didn't wean themselves off of their energy dependence on Russia, how it's come back to bite them. We need to get more and more serious, much like we did after 9-11, creating energy independence in our nation. We need to, we need to figure out how we create supply chain independence going forward. And so so when, I, when I think about politics and what I miss, Trey, in, being in politics with a guy like you right now, a guy like Tim Scott right now trying to work on these issues, that's what excites me about, continues to excite me about, about politics and continues to excite me about, about being, you know, still having a little bit of a, you know, well, Fox is an enormous platform, but having a little bit of, of access to that enormous platform to sort of share my thoughts and views. Well, you mentioned the five. It is, I mean, the word phenomenal does not capture how the five <laughs> is doing. And I, I got to confess to you, I've learned a lot. I thought Dana Perino was the only member of the panel. And, but what I hear you telling me is there are four others. Is that right? <laughs> I thought so you, you're, you're not alone in that, in that, in that belief. And, uh, but there are a few, a few other guys and there's one, there's judge Janine Pirro, who is, uh, who her honor is, is a yes. force in her own right. Exactly. Well, I was a prosecutor in a former life, and uh, she scares the daylights out of me, and uh, and I'm glad I never had to appear in front of her. Uh, Y'all have such an amazing chemistry. It is not surprising to me that it is doing as well as it is. And like the five, I'm going to ask you one more serious question, then I'm going to let you go make your tea time by asking you a couple of sports questions. (laughs) My serious question, you mentioned Tim Scott. And, and I rely on him for this because, you know, to the point of having to have friends with different perspectives and different backgrounds, I have no idea what it is like to be a black man. The only hope I have is that Tim Scott would loan me his eyes and say, <laughs> let me tell you what the experience is like. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him because it fascinates me how to balance you know, from a country standpoint, how do we balance the pain of the past with the progress we have made, which is today, and then mix in some of the promise and potential of tomorrow? How do we apportion our time, our emotions as we, you know, remember the past and the pain, uh, which is incredibly real? Um, and, and, and needs to be studied, but how do we balance those three pivot points in a constructive way? Look, that's been the, uh, that's been the, the, the great beauty and challenge for our country, beauty of and challenge for the country since our, since our inception. You know, we, we, we've had this, we've had to have this conversation in the last few years because of some, 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 uh, just an awful tragedy in Minneapolis, a murder in Minneapolis. But I, I think that, um, um, everybody's got to come to the conversation with the, 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 the sense that no one wants to, no one wants to be maligned or belittled, but everybody can be enriched if we learn a little bit more about, about our, our history. I don't, I never have understood people who didn't want to talk about certain things because uh, it, it about, about our history, because they thought it, it, it cast somebody in, in a, in a light that was uh, that they didn't want to be cast in. I mean, reality is we have the greatest history you think about just a short time that we've been in existence as a nation, the experiment continues and we have found ourselves, you know, making incredible progress with the need to make a lot more going, going forward as we, you know, we just celebrated the fourth, obviously not the fourth is a big, uh, is a big holiday in my house because I, I use it as a chance. My kids are too young to really, my daughter loves sitting and listen. She, 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 she tickles me and really, kind of indulges me. She just will sit and listen to me talk. I finally figured out that she has her iPad lodged in my sofa in my office here. So she looks like she's looking at me and listening, but she's actually multitasking. But I I love talking about, she's no doubt about it. I mean, she's got to pause and celebrate the the, the beauty, the the brilliance and courage of the founders. And people have to realize that the founders were brilliant, but they weren't perfect. And they asked us to try to make it a more perfect union which means at times the conversations will get a little cantankerous, might even get a little pugnacious, uh, but they should, they should keep being conversation. Um, you know, my wife, my wife laughs at me a little bit because we, when we are out and talk about being, being a, an African-American man or a black man, when I'm out sometimes, and I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I, I, I'm a huge supporter of 
of, of law enforcement. I don't hesitate to say that, but I'm going to say afterwards I do. Um, my, in fact, the union building for the police officers in Memphis is named after my father. Uh, and we have always uh, been a great supporter and will continue to be. But when I see a police car, when I'm in my car driving, I still get a little nervous. Long before the, 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 the tragedy and the killing in, in Minneapolis. But there's just something, even when I'm doing nothing, when I'm 90, 100% of the time doing nothing wrong, uh, it, it's still, it, it, it's just a, it's just a little unsettling. Um, and it's a strange unsettle because I, I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid by, at the same time, I don't, I, I feel that, that something could happen that I don't want to happen. And I think it's hard for people who don't have that feeling to understand that feeling. Um, and it is, again, I hope my, my, I hope my kids never have it, but I, I have a little bit, a little bit of that, you know, I'm in an interracial marriage. Uh, so and I've grown up, my parents let me be what I wanted to be and, and allowed me to have the friends I wanted to have and, and date how I wanted to date and whom I wanted to date. And, um, you know, the one, one of the worries I have, uh, in addition to the China thing is a big one to me, the fact that primaries are more important than generals in, in politics today worries me. But I used to always think that younger people you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have greater open minds about things. Uh, and we use the word tolerate and tolerant all the time. I want people to be tolerant, but I want people to listen more because I think to tolerate someone almost means, look, you can, as long as you, you tolerate those guys for an hour and then get them out of here uh, or tolerate that group over there for an hour and get them out of here um, um, or tolerate your in-laws for a couple of days and get them out of here. <laughs> but you want, you, you want to be able to have, tolerance is important, but that can't be the, the total pillar of, I mean, it's got to be, there's got to be a want also to, I mean, because part of me, what I used to watch before, before I started working for when I was in politics, I had on all three, the three cable networks because I wanted, I wanted to see, I didn't want to be tolerant as much as I wanted to hear and I wanted to learn. So I, I think we've got to, you know, we've got to be willing to, to, to do that more. You know, we, we, one of the topics around you know, we, that's gotten us all exercise in the country is what we teach in schools and how we teach in schools. You know, I don't understand why the notion of teaching kids kindness and respect uh, and compassion and hard work. If you teach those four things when they're in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, then all the other stuff will happen. Because if you're kind um, and you're compassionate, you're going to want to learn and you're going to want to, those things will populate the way you the, the, the way you eventually begin to think about any and everything. I was watching the NEA yesterday wanting, you know, stuff around sexual orientation, sexual preference and what we want to teach. And, and my kids have learned at their school that um, being, it's not, they're, they're not teaching them tolerance, they're teaching them patience, they're teaching them kindness, they're teaching them compassion. And then the schools have to be focused on teaching them algebra and teaching them the humanities and teaching them of physics and teaching them as they get older and teaching them calculus and teaching them. Uh, I mean, one of the great things about algebra is that you, you learn a problem confronts you and you have to think how you get to the answer. And the more kids are challenged to think like that, the more likely they're going to be, if they're learning kindness and compassion and, and respect and hard work, the more you combine those things, the, 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 the better human being we're, we're going to make. Uh, and probably the less biases and prejudices people people have. Finish with one story. One of my best friends from Memphis, um, you know, uh, 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 our families have been friends for, for years before we became pals. And he called me, uh, uh, white guy, he called me and said, look, I didn't understand what this Juneteenth was because I'm looking it up. He says, I, I didn't realize that, you know, there were people down in Texas who didn't know that they had been freed for a couple of years. And that's what Juneteenth is about. He said, I'd have been pretty pissed my dog on self had I known, had we been, had, and I, someone told me that we were, that I'd been free for two years and I didn't know. Now, he and I are pals and have a, have a great friendship and relationship, but those are the kinds of, you know, revelations I think that, that we can have about a lot of things about our country. If, uh, if there's just a willingness to kind of talk and listen and not be tolerant, well, tolerant, tolerance can be part of it, but have a compassion and kindness about when we get into these, these, these conversations and you, you won't ever have, I hope you never have these, what, what that, that little, little trepidation, little hesitation I have when I see a, a police officer and I hope you never have it. And I hope my son doesn't have it and I hope my daughter doesn't have it. 
but it doesn't prevent me from saying I want to I, I want to be supportive and have to be supportive and love being supportive of law enforcement in the country. And then I want to listen to a parent who is concerned about what's being taught in schools. I thought Condi Rice said it best. We, we can teach everything. We don't have to teach kids that they're bad because we're telling a piece of history that shines a light on a moment that we I think the whole country wish we had not gone through uh, a few hundred years ago. And at the same time, we shouldn't, you know, make people uh, try to feel better about themselves at the expense of someone else. And I think that's what and, and the, the first and second point are kind of the same points. But I think that's what that's the tension we had as we were talking about things we're going to teach in school around race and history and culture. And we'd all need to be proud of, of the good and the bad, because I tell you, you and I both know no other countries uh, is. Uh, it's trying to build build uh, build walls to keep keep people out. We're the only ones because everybody wants to come here, and uh, even some bad people want to come here. But everybody wants to come here. I don't know if that mouthful makes any sense, but that's how I think about those things, Trey. No, it makes perfect sense, and it 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 made me reflect. I mean, I, I sit there and think, okay, he's the son of a congressman. He was a congressman. He's a television star, and yet he has a a different reaction to seeing law enforcement. And, and it made me, you know, uh, Tim Scott and I've been friends for, uh, for well north of a decade, we were eating lunch in Columbia, South Carolina. And I walked behind his sedan and saw that he had uh us Senate two on his license plate. And I, I, I said, look, I can't think of a dumber thing to have on your license plate. I mean, <laughs> everyone's going to call in to talk radio and say you were speeding or, you know, you're playing your Christian music too loud. I mean, why in the world would you want to draw attention? And he laughed Harold, but just for a second. And he's, he looked at me and said, Trey, I want law enforcement to know that I am not a threat to them. So they will not be a threat to me. And I stopped and thought, you're a United States Senator. And what he yep. was saying was I'm a black man. And I never, yep. I, the only hope I have of understanding that experience is if someone who doesn't look like me shares it with me which is why I'm an advocate for having friends with people who don't look like us and think like us and believe. Well, I mean, do it for selfish reasons. Do it so you can learn something. If you don't want to do it for the right reasons, then do it for selfish reasons so you can learn something more. I, I have a perspective. And by the same token, he is the first person to call the widow or widower of a fallen police officer in my state. I have to call him to get the number. He's already called the widow or the widower. So, so he, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because people need to know and see life through the eyes of people um, where, where they maybe have blind spots. Sit tight. We'll have more of this interview after this. All right. I don't want to end on something deep, but I'm going to end on the most important topic of all, I think. <laughs> Southern Cal and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Are, are we going to have two, just two major super conferences? Is that good? Is that bad? What are your thoughts? Uh, we're going to have two super major. We'll, we'll end up having two, maybe three. Uh, um, uh, but I think it will end up being two. I like them coming to the conference, uh, to the Big Ten. I mean, as you know, I'm a Michigan fan. They are, uh, you know, the, the two things that are going to, that will impact this, no impact sports and you and I have strong thoughts on this the the, the conference consolidation will continue I'm, I'm curious to see where Stanford and Cal go uh and I, how much hunches they may join they may join us in the Big Ten and this NIL this name image and likeness uh things around and how the kids can be compensated with the Big Ten doing what they're doing they're the first coast to coast conference now because you got Maryland in the Big Ten, Rutgers in the Big Ten, obviously, and obviously all the big the, the big states in the in the middle of the country, and obviously West Coast now. So if you are a quarterback, Lincoln Riley at USC, you know the, the, the NIL money now is going to be bigger. If you're a quarterback at Michigan or Ohio State, the NIL money can be you know will likely be bigger. I don't know where all of this goes. I've been an advocate for these kids to be 
to be able to share a little bit more uh, than just scholarship money uh, in the big pool of dollars that are out there in college sports. Um, but they're going to have to regulate this NIL a little bit because it's going to, you know, I, I don't know how you, you know, I don't know. I just don't know the impact it's going to, it's going to, one thing I think it will have a positive impact on which we have not been able to, to really equalize. Although I mean, title nine is a, a huge, huge reason why we have the, the women's sports that we have, but you're going to find out that there'll be a lot of women, a lot of women athletes, a female athletes, uh, young women athletes in college. They're going to make a lot of money in the NIL because, you know, you think about the volleyball teams, the softball teams, the soccer teams, um, uh, if that matter, gymnastics and track. I mean, it, 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 you'll find when they look at the top 10, top 15 kids that get paid from this, you'll, you'll, I think you'll find over a short period of time that, you know, a half of them could be young, uh, young women, which I think would be a great thing. Uh, but we will have two conferences, I think, in two years, three years. And if, if it's not, if it's still other conferences, it's only going to be two that, that, that gobble up all the money and, and, and uh, the money's going to be NIL money. I don't know, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Yeah, I mean, when you we were talking about, you know, female athletes, I mean, we have Aaliyah Boston here in South Carolina who's, you know, uh, Paige Beckers is a fantastic college basketball player, but Aaliyah Boston, National Player of the Year on my yep. NCAA champion. I mean, I, I would hire her tomorrow to sell whatever product I was trying to sell. She is not just an amazing player. She's an amazing interview after the game is over. We had a point what a guard. story she has, too. Oh, we had Destiny Henderson, who you know, you know, not only an amazing point guard, helped us win the semifinal game. Uh, looks like a movie star, so she just signed with the uh, Indiana women's team. Yeah, I, I watch a ton of college sports. I, I, I'm torn, Harold, because I love the authenticity of college sports. I just. On the other hand, I, I am sick. I'm sick to my stomach. It's two months away that Alabama, Texas is an 11 a.m. kickoff because of television. <laughs> I mean, I'm not up at 11, Harold. I mean, I, I I get up about one or so and then go, you know, play nine holes. <laughs> the the power of television and media, I. I I don't know. I, I'd love for you to be the head of the NCAA at some point when you get through on the five, because it, it – but, but, Trey, think about it. I don't think there's going to be an – I think the NCAA is in, in deep danger of not existing, uh, because if you have these two conferences, even if you say just this, you say stops at USC, UCLA, which I don't think it will, but let's say it does, how does the NCAA head tell the Big Ten of the SEC chair what to do? They I mean, don't. They, they, they don't do it now. That It's going to even be harder. You think about the Big Ten network, the amount of money. I mean, it's almost like the NFL, the way the big – because the NFL, all these owners share equally in the dollars from, the, from these TV contracts. In the SEC, the network does the same. The Big Ten is the biggest of the networks in terms of the money-making and everything else. It's going to, and only going to get bigger, only going to get bigger with, with USC and UCLA coming there. So, I don't know. When we get Clemson and Notre Dame in the SEC um, – and I guess we'll take Florida State, North Carolina, while we're at it. Uh, You're going to have to. I mean, that's that's what it's going to end up being. And then how about my school, Baylor? I went to Baylor, and, and you know, Baylor just got through winning the NCAA men's. Kim Mulkey won, like, three national championships. Our football team's really good. I mean, where are they going to go? I think they're going to be – I, I mean, you got to think they're in the Big Ten. Yeah. Or if well, you, unless you guys grab them, I mean, it'll be a great, you know – does tech will will the rule will the will the will the the the, the whatever the deal you struck with Texas? I mean, I'm sure they spoke up about and and AM probably spoke up about Baylor being in there as well. I mean, it would seem to me, you know, we if, if, at one point I thought they were thinking about the Big Ten Baylor, but you know, if I just add Baylor to that list you had at SEC, if you because I think the further west you guys can go, the better it is for you know the better it is for the SEC. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned UCLA and Southern Cal, but Oregon has an amazing athletic program and i i don't know where they're going to wind up well all right i don't want you to be the head of ncaa because you won't have any power maybe you'll be the head of espn <laughs> which is where all the power is all right here's my last question for you and it's a tough one okay it's the last question i'm gonna let you go get your Titleist t100s or whatever the latest greatest iron you're playing is you're you're seated on. You got to fly from New York to Los Angeles. You get on the plane and you're seated next to Jason Chaffetz. Do you walk 
Do you get off the plane and decide to walk, or do you ask the flight attendant to switch seats? I mean, I I, I tell him, and only way I sit with him if he gives my son kicking lessons uh, from his great days at BYU. I love Shafitz. He's a he's now he's a talker, but I love him, and I sit next to him. Uh, well, for five hours you would, because that would give <laughs> that would give him enough time to get through maybe the spring game of his freshman year, talking about his kicking exploits. He wouldn't even get to the regular season in five hours. <laughs> he and I, when Michigan played played uh, BYU years ago, um, uh, and it was right near the beginning of Harbaugh's time as coach and I was out for the game and we were we were on the sidelines before the game and I that, I didn't realize he had played there so he told me while he was there and then he started you know regaling me with one or two stories and uh um Michigan beat the beat the just Dickens out of him that day but it was a it was fun listening to I, I, I texted him I said man they may need you to suit up again it was halftime I said you all down so bad I don't know if you can you can you play wide receiver and he had thoughts on that too can you imagine him with an NIL I mean, they they put the helmet rule in place for him because he would take his helmet off after every kick, and he had hair back then. So right. he would kind of wave his like, hair. Yeah, but that we had hair like that. You and he both. You got hair like that. You gotta you gotta show it off. I guess you're right. All right, I said one more question, but I gotta ask. You mentioned Harbaugh. I've never met Nick Saban. That, that's one person I'd love to meet. Although he too scares the daylights out of me. So if you had a choice between playing for Saban or Harbaugh, I mean, neither one of them kind of seem like the kind of coach to like put their arm around you when you're having a tough day. Uh, who would you pick between those two? You don't put me in. I can't even, I mean, you're going to get me all jammed up here. I, I, I Saban, I got to know in, a, in one of my old jobs, he was a, became a partially became a, a client. I had a chance to interact with him a little bit. He is intense. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. Uh, and uh, he and Joe Manchin are old friends, by the way. Um, he, he's, a, uh, he's, he's terrific. Harbaugh is equally intense. Um, the thing about those two guys, Saban seems to have adjusted to where the game, not that Harbaugh is not, but Saban seems to have adjusted. Because remember, Saban was all about defense. And he said, well, then, then he started realizing we got to have an offense to, even if I got this great defense. So I get he's one of the great, I mean, just how malleable he is and how, how much he's able to adjust. So it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to this NIL thing. And it's going to be equally interesting how, you know, how, how uh, Harbaugh does as well. If you look at kids being drafted to the NFL from these programs, both of them got a pretty, I mean, nobody's record is like Alabama's, but Michigan, Harbaugh's done. We've not had the wins that we've wanted at the school. Uh, and I've been, you know, I've been like a lot of people have been critical of Coach Harbaugh at times. But, you know, the program is clean. The program sends kids to the NFL. And we finally made a playoff last year. And I hope, hope we're able to, to build on it. If my son wants to go to Michigan uh, or wants to go to Alabama uh, and he's recruited by both, that means, uh, Trey, we're going to have some great tickets at some game. So <laughs> <laughs> it gets that good. Well, I, I, uh, Harbaugh may be around then. I don't know about saving. They keep talking about <laughs> replacements. But I tell young kids who come to me and say they want to go into politics and they say, you know, what should I do? And how do I learn to be on television? And I say, you need to go watch Nick Saban press conferences or Ric Flair press conferences. Those are the two <laughs> most entertaining people I have ever heard. I mean, no offense to Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi, but their press conferences aren't quite as good as Nick Saban and Ric Flair. And no doubt about it. You know, or even a fireside chat with Coach Saban. Oh, my heavens. I cannot thank you enough. I, I, I love visiting with you, and I, I, I've, I've kept you away from um, – uh, golf and family and solving the world's problems. And I guess you got to get ready for the five because it's, uh, it's about six hours away and that's probably how long uh, it takes to prepare. But um, <laughs> you, 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 you have uh, you, 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 not just my wife, but also me just love the way you treat people, even while you're in the process of, of deconstructing one of their arguments or disagreeing with them. It's just, it's, it's heartening to me to know that you can disagree with someone uh, while also being agreeable on a personal level. So thank you for that. And thank you for giving us some of your time. Brother, it, uh, a pleasure. Uh, and I hope we uh, hope we can do it again. And please give uh, your wife again my thanks and hellos and, and give Senator Scott my regards as well. 
I will, and tell your son to pick Alabama because it's in the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> Go right, thank you, Congressman okay, Harold Ford. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending another Tuesday with Trey. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.